Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. This is uh, Dave Cruz, and today we get to talk to Julie Kintz. And Julie is an associate professor in the Department of Human-Centered Design and Engineering at the University of Washington. And she there she directs the Competing for Healthy Living and Learning Lab. So she's doing some pretty incredible and important research using tech to uh, um, analyze and enhance health. So what I'm especially interested in is how she thinks about integrating technology into people's lives. Her research focuses on understanding and reducing the burden technology, and technology often puts on people while trying to improve their health. She works on projects around helping people with sleep problems, parents of young children, tracking development, developmental progress, individuals with visual impairments, people who want to quit smoking, and special education teachers working with children with autism. So it's pretty amazing. And not to mention, Julie has won a number of awards, including MIT's Technology Review, 35 interviews under 35 in 2013. And she's also received a Google Research Award. So that's enough. I'll stop talking. And But Julie, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And so Julie, can you first tell us a little bit about your background so we can get to know you before we kind of dive into what you're working on now? Sure. Uh, so I started out um, in computer science straight out of, of high school. Uh, I majored in computer science and kind of stuck through it all the way through. Um, but I was pretty interested in it from I really liked computers and the aspect of computers um, and how they were changing lives. You know, I graduated high school in the late 90s, which was at the height of the, the tech com boom. Uh, so it seemed like a pretty great field to be in. And I was just really excited about the prospects of technology. Um, and then, you know, throughout that, I kind of always had this desire to sort of use my interest in technology and computers to then have an impact on people's lives. And so that really got me into the, the field of, of human-computer interaction, which I discovered late in my um, undergraduate um, uh, program and decided to pursue research projects related to that. And that got me excited about research in general, and I applied to grad schools to focus on doing research on human-computer interactions. Interesting. Okay. And what prompted you in college to get interested in that? Or was there a professor or do you something you read or an experience that you had? Yeah, I had, um, I, my university of Toledo was where I went to, um, my undergraduate and they had a co-op program there that required all the students to do internships. And, and one of my internships was actually a research internship, um, at the university of California, Berkeley, where I was introduced to the idea of human computer interaction research. And so I worked with a professor there and in day, um, was there at the time, um, who's doing research on ambient displays, which are really cool ways of, of you know, dealing with information overload. And so the idea that you know, were blasted with all these information and ambient displays were a way of, of presenting information to people in a way that was much more relaxing and calming. And so I sort of had this moment of realization that you know, technology can be used in these ways that, that can impact people and I can see this direct impact that people have. And up until that point, I was working on a lot of research or, or technology projects that were sort of more far-fetched, you know, more on like back-end sorts of things. I did some stuff on hardware, and so that direct connection to people wasn't as obvious until I got into the field of, of human-computer interaction. So um, I applied to grad schools, uh, got accepted to Georgia Tech's uh, PhD program in computer science, which had a strong focus on, on computer, uh, human-computer interaction, and then kind of never looked back, and I've been really, really interested in, in, in the intersection between all of my, my research has been around 
how do we use technology in such a way to impact people's lives? And, and the best way I've been able to do that is working at the areas of health and education. So that's where most of my research. I started graduate school, and, and through my this is my ninth year as a faculty member, it's all been my focus. And how do you, and that was actually my next question was with the human computer interaction. I imagine that can across many different industry, industries, you know, why do you choose health and education or what, what made you interested in that? Yeah, it's been a little bit of a, a personal thing for me. You know, I've always felt that, that that was sort of the biggest impact. Even as a kid, it was always sort of, you know, health and education were sort of the ways that, you know, uh, we, can, we can make lives <laughs> <Yeah>. better. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, a long-term thing. I didn't have sort of a, a, you know, like any sort of personal afflictions or anything like that that I felt like was really important to focus on. But um, when I was in graduate school, um, my research advisor actually had two children with autism, and he was really interested in the ways that technology could support, you know, children like his, his two sons with autism and you know, I was really inspired by the way he sort of took um, you know, the idea of technology and applied it in a way that was personally meaningful and so I kind of have tried to do the same for me. I've done research in child development and kind of tracking developmental milestones. I have uh, two children of my own and so that's sort of how I got into to that project. Um, I've done things relating to sleep and sleep health and sleep's always been something I felt was really important to me. Uh, and so, you know, thinking about the things that I have going on in my life and how I can sort of use technology to sort of solve that problem and then think broadly in terms of how this can be solved for many different types of people. Interesting. Yeah. And reading over your research, and I have a, a child too, so I'm, I'm quite fascinated to get your opinions on some things, but we'll, we'll wait till the end for those. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's always the, how much do you expose your child or how do you, what's the best way to expose them? Um, but, and you have some really interesting studies oh, yeah. too, but um but yeah that's tricky for any parent that's for sure (laughs) yes yeah i bet you probably have you probably feel a little more pressure to make sure you get it right (laughs) (laughs) yeah no at the same time i also know the research well enough to know that you know like these micro little stresses actually don't make that big of a difference so i feel a little bit more Uh, interesting (laughs) all right sounds good yes and and maybe our stress actually makes it worse overall if we worry about (laughs) how much technology to Um, all right. So, yeah, you mentioned that some of the stuff you've done and one of the projects you've worked on and I think you're still working on is Baby Steps. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So this is probably the longest project I've, I've worked okay. on. Uh, this is actually something I started when I was a graduate student. And it started out, you know, I mentioned I'd been interested in, in autism from the, the perspective of my research advisor having two children from there. And, and I saw a presentation from the Centers for Disease Control educating parents about the the kind of early warning, sign, early warning signs of autism and developmental delay, and they were kind of ed- trying to educate parents about what those signs were and how to look out for them. And I was, in, in hearing that presentation, I was struck by the fact that, you know, they were thinking about all these different milestones that kids were supposed to meet between zero and five, and, you know, really it was sort of the static information. And, you know, if I... I, didn't, I wasn't even a parent at the time, and it still seemed overwhelming to me to think about you know, how you might be able to track how your child's developing using kind of the static information. So I thought this was a really interesting area for interactive technology to be able to play a role in sort of helping keep people engaged over a five-year period and sort of delivering only the information that's relevant to them at the time as opposed to bombarding them with, with sort of all the information all at once. Um, and so I, I started out. I use a, a human-centered design process in everything that I do, and so I start out doing a bunch of interviews with families and pediatricians and um, child care providers and other hmm. stakeholders in the space of, of childhood development to try to get an understanding of, of how technology could play a role here. And we learned some important things. So 
One was that if we're trying to do this for for every single parent, then you know no one technology is going to work for everybody. We have to sort of you know, have a multi sort of platform approach to reach as many parents as possible. Since this was sort of a public health type campaign, uh, the second thing was thinking about you know, how we can reduce the emotional burden associated with this. And so, you know, looking for warning signs that your child might not be normally developing is a scary, scary thing for parents. Mm. Uh, they want to know that information. You know, they'd want to know if their kid was behind in any way, but you're sort of constantly thinking about what might be wrong with their child is really, really emotionally burdensome. And so the ways that we might be able to do that to reduce that burden is really important. Um, and then the third was just, um, you know, uh, reminding people that, you know, this is, you know, I mentioned kind of information overload. Parents are very busy people. You know, I saw lots of half-completed baby books. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, parents had all these great intentions of sort of, you know, documenting all these sort of things, but then your know, life got in the way and, and things were... Um, it was really hectic. So sort of addressing those two things was something that we wanted to do with our design. So we've developed a suite of tools that is kind of collectively called Baby Steps, but it's actually three different tools that we have right now. Um, so we have a web portal, um, we have a text messaging version, and we have a, a social media uh, version through Twitter um, where parents can actually answer developmental milestone questions through any of those platforms. And it's all kind of synced into one central database. Um, and then the key insight was sort of flipping around this, this notion of, like, I should be looking for problems with my child and, and if they have signs of developmental delay. And actually, this is more about celebrating the accomplishments hmm. of my child. So we sort of oh, flipped the framing a bit. So, you know, now we are having parents sort of celebrate, you know, their child took their first step um, and celebrate the fact that they're, you know, uh, you know responding to their name or starting to say mama or dada. And these are things that, that parents are already doing anyway. So we sort of had people sort of track accomplishments as opposed to look for a warning sign. Um, and then the other thing that we did was we combined uh, the, the developmental screening components with more of this emotional and sentimental record keeping, like photos and videos and some of these things like you know, trips to grandmother's house or first trip to the zoo and sort of mm -hmm. adding in these that aren't necessarily related to child development but are still fun things that parents want to track. And so we co combined all these things together into this one uh, single application that is uh, we, we feel is pretty engaging. So parents can sort of take photos of these things. They can create a timeline of their child. They can do it over text message. They can actually text uh, photos to our system and it will you know, generate one timeline and can actually receive. Uh, one, one of the new features we're actually adding is that they can actually text back a memory to our system and it will send them a random happy memory of their child uh, and sort of get this sort of sentimental record keeping while also keeping track of their development. So did you use this with uh, your kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, my kids are, <laughs> are definitely guinea pigs in my research. <laughs> but, uh, as a parent, it's actually really one of those really funny things because, you know, I, I believe in human-centered design and, you know, the fact that we can design things for people who aren't ourselves. And so, you know, I'd started this project before I had children, um, and then I had children in the process, and then I started using our tools after I had kids. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to realize that, you know, we did a good job and, and you know, it oh, was really? actually useful for nice. me as a parent. Yeah. Uh, so it was nice that I could do this without having to have become a parent myself. Uh, but... Yeah, so my, my kids are kind of, you know, make good demos. So when I when I demo the technology, they can see their, their, see their milestones. And, and I've actually been able to, um, my, my son is, is 16 months, and he is actually a little bit behind on some of his communication milestones. And I was actually able to use the system to um, identify the fact that he had minor hearing loss in one of his ears. Wow. We're actually getting him to have ear tube surgery uh, in a week or so uh, to, to kind of address that particular one. So it's been kind of fun from a sentimental thing, but also useful in terms of knowing where he was as well. 
Interesting. That is that is helpful. Yeah, and like you said, it's nice. I mean, it sounds like you've done you do so much initial uh, good initial research that, like you said, you don't have to be a parent necessarily to design something yeah. to be a parent, which is it's, nice. It does help though because I can you know quickly test things and, <laughs> and get rid true. of bad ide- bad ideas quickly. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. Uh, all right. So, and can you maybe tell us uh, some other some of your current research projects that you're working on? I think you said on one of your websites that. You're working on some big, big, exciting projects. So <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. you have a lot going on. So I don't know if you want to choose like one or two or, um, yeah. <laughs> well, so the the big thing was actually the the baby step system I just uh, talked about. I spent my sabbatical year basically trying to make this a real thing for okay. uh, for everyone to be able to use. And so I've been working on technology transfer. That's what the, the researchers call it when we take things that are just sort of outside of the you're taking things that are in the lab and try to get them so they're they're available in the real world. Um, and so I've been working with the state of Washington to to get baby steps um, cool. in place as a system that the people in the state can use to to track their kids' developmental milestones and get connected to early intervention resources. So that's kind of been that big project. But then I've also been focusing a little bit more um, just because I do have kids and it's been a personal passion of mine. So I've been really focusing a lot more of my work on the area of, of health for families and health for children. Um, and that seems to be uh, a really good focus for me. So we've been looking at things and, and th- taking a broad picture of health. So thinking about things like, you know, um, how much screen time kids use is, is an aspect of health. Um, also, just um, we're looking at, at sleep as a family. So, you know, a lot of times when people are sort of tracking sleep or, or doing any sort of things around sleep health is at the individual level. Uh, but as many of us parents know, you know, when, when the kid doesn't sleep, mom doesn't sleep. When mom's not sleeping well, no one's sleeping well. And you know, there's, there's this, this uh, kind of interplay between everyone in the family. And so we've been sort of thinking about this notion of things like personal uh, health tracking tools or personal fitness trackers and thinking about, you know, how does it work when you think about it at a family level as opposed to an individual level. Interesting. And uh, can you give us some uh, specific examples that you're working on now? in that area yeah so i mentioned the the sleep project so we're looking at that we're also looking at family stress so helping the families sort of understand what's causing stress in their life um, and how they might be able to address it or just be aware of it in each other um so again Mm -hmm. sort of thinking this family-centered approach where um you know if we have you know uh, uh, people within the same and we're you know our definition of family is basically people who live in the same household Um, so likely it will it may involve kids but it could just be couples living together or um you know a a single parent or you know anything along those lines but you're thinking about how you know when i'm stressed out how does that impact everyone in my family and and sort of thinking about interventions that might be able to take place at a family level as opposed to just at the kind of individual level and and how do you measure that stress in a household (laughs) Well, there's a lot of different ways. Um, so, you know, we're working with some people in psychology to, who are looking at different metrics for that. Uh, so, you know, they've been using things like um, you know, fitness trackers that include things like heart rate. And um, we've also been looking at just self-reported levels of stress and having people sort of respond to questionnaires throughout the day that, that indicate their level of stress in a bunch of different dimensions. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's most of the, the two ways that we're looking at it. And and how do you kind of develop a program like around stress? Let's say like how do you come up with the idea, and then how do you decide like we should actually look into this? And then how do you decide like set up the protocol? And can you kind of take us through? Oh, uh, really? Yeah. 
it really depends on the project. So um, sometimes you know, my students or I will get an idea and we'll say, okay, who do we know that's sort of an expert in this area that we can talk to? Since you know, most of my students and I, you know, we're, we're experts in sort of technology and design. We're not necessarily experts in the domain. So I'm not a developmental psychologist in any way, but I've been working in the area of sort of designing technology for the space. But you know, I consult with people who do have expertise in that area. Um, likewise with sleep, I've consulted with a lot of sleep doctors or people who do sleep from the nursing context. Um, so usually I'll identify a domain expert who can sort of add that domain expertise to what we're, we're working on. And then it becomes just this collaborative process. So you, we, we kind of listen to people who are experts on the space describe to me or to us in, in, our, in our lab sort of what the, the problems are. And then we, we brainstorm, you know, you know the, the human-centered design process involves sort of an ideation stage where you're generating lots of ideas. And so we'll do lots of sketching, brainstorm sessions, you come up with as many ideas as we can, and then sort of narrow those down to be sort of what's practical to do, what's sort of novel, you know, research you sort of are looking for things that haven't been done before. Um, so what hasn't been tried, uh, and then, you know, then it comes down to a, sometimes applying for funding and getting funding to do the things that we want to do is, is sort of the next step oftentimes. But Sometimes, for the example, the stress thing came about because um, I got introduced to a colleague here at um, University of Washington who was doing work on, on teams and stress, and, and so this is a new project from Jeff you're looking at right now. Um, and so she she has this amazing data set on stress and families. Mm. So we thought, wow, this is a really great opportunity to sort of think about this um, um, since this data set was already there. Gotcha. And the ultimate goal around the stress program, at least, would be to, well, reduce stress, but come up with strategies and, like, and when to kind of inject those strategies based on exactly yeah okay. yeah what what how can we design these interventions in such a way that will be you know both effective but then also fit into their lives you know we don't want to sort of make something that's going to be more stressful you know by thinking about stress sometimes you can induce it more so thinking really carefully about how we can design these interventions to sort of fit their lives do it in a way that's respectful of them just like what i mentioned with like the baby steps project you know we want something that sort of fits into what they're already doing using technology that they're already comfortable with and doing the activity that they already want to be doing which is sort of tracking the the fun stuff around their kids you're sharing those sorts of things on social media we want to do something similar with stress so if we can you know, build it into like a game or something you know, we're still sort of coming up with ideas about how we might do this but you're thinking about how we can design something that fits into people's lives as opposed to being this thing that they have this extra thing that they have to do on top of it yeah and that's why i kind of love how you design your programs you just make it you try to make it so integrated and fluid you know, you don't you don't try to create like some massive program that someone's <laughs> gonna have to you know take an hour a day to do. It's just kind of part of their day, and and you set it up so it's almost probably fun. It sounds like, <laughs> which is uh yeah. We want to try and strike this like balance between um you know this uh you're you're interested in it enough that it doesn't sort of become this thing that you you ignore, um mm. but it's not sort of a, a lot of work. And so I've been working on a kind of a, a cross cutting research thing has been investigating this idea of user burden. Um, and so we've developed this model of user burden that includes six different dimensions. So you know mental and emotional burden, time and social burden. Uh, privacy burden, financial burden, physical burden, and then um, the sixth one. <laughs> uh, but but basically, you know, we want to make sure that we're we're designing these systems that kind of reduce these burdens in different ways. Um, but realizing that you know, we can reduce burdens, but uh, maybe not all in one area at once. And so thinking about what people value about um, 
a system. They might be, if, if they highly value something, they might be willing to put up with different levels of burden than if they don't value it very much uh. at all. So if it's a sort of thing that seems like this extra work, then it has to be super low burden in general. But if they're getting a lot of value out of it, they might be willing to put more time into it um, or you'll put more financial resources into it and all these other sorts of things. Um, and, sort of thinking about the interplay between how much work they have to put in it, into it and how much value they're getting out of it. Interesting. And, and so with your projects, like with the stress one, you know, are, do you want to develop kind of, let's say, let's call it more advanced technology? You know, I mentioned like the wearables and the sensors. Um, are you more interested in kind of taking off the shelf components and then creating the kind of the whole program around that, um, which is a little not bit. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to be uh, in, a, in a department called human centered design and engineering, whereas actually the human is first. Uh, and so that gives me a lot of freedom to be, um, not having a lot of pressure to sort of like build new technologies or sort yes. of like being really yeah. technology centered. And so I really am in open to the, the type of technology approach that we do. So, I mean, I have expertise in different areas and so I might be more likely to sort of build things um, in different areas because I have the expertise, but I, I'm really sort of like, let's find the best fit for this particular problem, whether that's an off the shelf technology that already exists or it's something new that we have to develop. Um, we really kind of let the problem dictate what that technology should be. Gotcha. Okay. That, yeah. That's wise. I like that. Well, we're getting kind of near the end and there's a, a couple, at least one question I definitely want to ask about the, you uh, had a paper on, so we're switching topics a little bit, but we're almost out of time here. So I want to get this in, but switch, um, you had a paper on um, par parents use of their phone and texting on playgrounds. And uh, yeah. yeah, can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. That was actually the idea of one of my students, Alexis Snicker. Uh, she uh, was actually uh, had she has she's a parent herself and is spending a lot of time of, on playgrounds and sort of she was using her phone in the <laughs> playground and using others and you know she sort of was aware of all of this negative media around those things and you know, she also saw lots of really engaged parents in the playground too so it kind of got her wondering you know what actually are people doing uh, when they're using you know, their phones at the playground. Uh, so she and, and a, a bunch of other students got together. They was actually started as a class project, um, and then they ended up expanding it and turning it into a research paper. Um, and so the idea is they were actually going to playgrounds all around the Seattle area and sitting and observing and, and making notes about you know, when parents were, were using their phone. Uh, and then sort of what was happening sort of right afterwards and right beforehand. And then they would actually go and interview them at the, the park afterwards and, and talk to them about it. And you know, the, the idea was to sort of get a sense of, you know, what are people doing? Is this really a problem? <laughs> you know, the, the, the media sort of, you know, hyped this up that you were, were raising a whole generation of neglected children because we're all using our phones. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this wasn't really what we were seeing. And, and, you know, the main thing that we saw was that parents really are spending a small proportion of their time there. And, you know, there's there's plenty of people who uh, also believe that it's totally fine. You know, like, you know, no one would judge me if I brought a newspaper and I was reading the newspaper um, and my kids were off playing. And as long as they were being safe and I was there in case anything happened, you know, that's totally fine. This is their time to play and be kids. They don't need a parent there. Um, so we had these sort of we called those these confident, not uh, confident users. And then we had this other group of parents who are these sort of confident non-users who, you know, they leave their phone at home or they leave their phone in the car because they, you know, felt like, you know, I want to, when I go to the playground, I want to be engaged uh, and uh, make sure that I'm not distracted in any way. And then we had a group of people who I think this is an opportunity for who are sort of using their phone but not feeling great about it. <laughs> so they're sort of using it a little and feeling a little guilty about it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm using it, but, you know, I probably should be watching my kids. 
And so that seemed to be an opportunity to help people for this meet their goals. And so we were trying to be really neutral and not make any judgments around you know, how people are using their phones, sort of helping them sort of do what they wanted to do um, and help them design these tools. So we thought of ideas of, you know, um, we, the other thing that we realized is that a lot of parents are doing things on their phones that are relevant to their children. You know, they're taking a photo of them on the swings or texting mm, um, the other parent who's coming down with a picnic and, and sort of where to meet them and like, oh, we're, we're at the playground down by the lake. Uh, and so they're actually doing things about their children. Uh, and so we want to still enable those activities um, without sort of, you know, being distracted and, and leading them other ways that they don't want to be doing. Interesting. And yeah, it was a it was a fun project. You were thinking about ideas of, of how we can you know help the people who don't feel great about how they're using their phones use it in a way that they're they're more yes. um, excited about. I, my guess is that there's a most parents that sometimes probably feel a little guilty about using the phone. <laughs> yeah, it was our biggest group yeah. of people. <laughs> at some point, at least. Um, all right. Well, I this has been great, and uh, really appreciate your time, Julie, and. Telling us, yeah, about your, no tell, tell us your story and your experiences. So it's a, uh, I've learned a lot, and I hope uh, everyone else has too. So definitely appreciate it. Great, thanks so much. All right, thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs, and uh, thanks again, Julie. I appreciate it. Bye. <laughs>